everyone and welcome to the podcast. Tonight we're going to do a plot drift. Tony Dinozo chooses a new career. Um, we did, the other night, we did a podcast that kind of went off the rails. Um, it'll have a new title by the time it, it, it hits um, CastBox. Um, but originally it was a boxed in tag. Um, and, but, and we picked boxed in and several other places in NCIS canon where Tony should have realistically, as far as like being an actual living, breathing human being, should have left the job. Should I, yeah. Um, and honestly, uh, Boxed In is one of those. Um, Dead Air is one of those. Um, Requiem. Requiem. Aaliyah. Yeah. Is, that, is that the one with the... Yeah, definitely. That's where Ziva yeah. attacked them. Yeah. Honestly, he should have like told everybody to kiss his ass after the Rivkin thing. Yeah, like, definitely. What? But he really and truly, Tony Dozo should not have even been on that job by the time the Rivkin shit went down. No. I, I just don't understand why he would stay past um, the first three seasons, you know? And that just, it, it starts to strain. You have to deal with his mental health once you get past the beginning of season four. Um, I mean, he could be there. I see, I don't see Chip, Chip driving him out of the job. I mean, that was just an unfortunate set of circumstances. And his team worked really hard to clear him. So um, I don't see that that particular incident. Other than the fact that they, the, the director did a shitty background check. Because the director hired that guy personally. Which makes it look like she's trying to kill him. <laughs> but it's not kosher. Um. So if you look at like his history, his job history. Um, you could take him back to um, being a cop. I've seen that done. Um, where he goes back to um, he go, you know, he, he moves to a new city um, and gets a job in local law enforcement. I've seen him um, go to the FBI. I've seen him go to. Um, it'd be interesting, uh, <clears throat> Ellie, to see him go to ATF. Uh, looking forward to that looking at you um but it would be also interesting to see him leave law enforcement so julie what's on your brain what's on my brain um well some of my favorites uh for tony when he if he leaves law enforcement entirely are um writer particularly things related to crime so like true crime or fiction or something like that um music I like the idea of music, uh, whether, you know, going on tour with a, um, a band or something. I did have an idea, sort of like a bunny at one point. I made some notes about, didn't ever get very far with it, that he, um, all along through his career, he's been, he's put out music that he, like on his vacations, will go in a studio and record. And then he's a fairly well-known concert pianist, just under a different name. And so that when he leaves NCIS, he... Um, embraces that as a full-time career. Um, yeah, uh, I, I do like the idea of him becoming actual, take, taking the job that he had for fake. Although if I were to have him take the fake job, the movie professor job, teaching like film studies or something like that, it would have to be a job he picked up before the Jean thing. Because once the frog hole incident happens, I think that'd be too painful. Um and then I mentioned the other night that I had also the idea of him going and doing a, being a radio host, like actual radio, like talk radio, um, where he talks about crime and that kind of thing. 
Um, we did. There's a bakery AU you're doing right with him in um, New Orleans. Yeah, I have plotted a bakery AU where um, he leaves probably after dead air um, and makes it because the timing is better if I do it later. And he decides he can't be in law enforcement any, anymore and he falls back on the fact that he worked in a bakery during college and opens up a little place of his own in just off the, just off of uh, Bourbon Street. Um well, I don't think it's a matter of stress. Like, I don't see, I, I don't see him taking the job to be less stressful. I don't see Tony having a hard time managing stress. I think it's a matter of if he's looking to completely get away from law enforcement, it's because he doesn't want to deal with the bullshit around law enforcement anymore. Whether that's because he can't trust his partners in the field, which would be more of a dead air kind of situation, or he's burned out, or even that he it might be physically like if you're doing it like based on the plague it might be something that he is physically not capable of doing anymore um weirdly i I think i could see tony doing a um i could see more of a baker as a bake i don't know why i could see more running a bakery than running a restaurant because i just don't see that the bakery thing um I, i don't see like doing a small boutique bakery being as stressful as running a restaurant. Not stressful is not the right word. Time consuming and annoying. How's that? Yeah, it's a good term. Um, I don't I don't see him going into like clothes design or anything like that. I mean, yeah, he's a clothes horse, but I just don't see it doesn't connect in my brain that he'd be something he would have any connection to. But it all depends on how you work up his character. It just, just wouldn't gel with the kind of character bio I've worked up for him. So, For me, Tony leaving in CIS wouldn't be a matter of trying to reduce his stress, but trying to reduce the amount of disrespect he has to live with. Right. I would I would never have him leave over a stress issue. Like, he's stressed out. It, that wouldn't be it. Because that's like um, implying some kind of um, imminent mental break, um, which, you know, depending on the canon circumstances, could work. It just wouldn't be something that I would do. No. I wouldn't want to go down that potential PTSD hole because that's a lot of work to do um, character wise and really if I'm having Tony leave NCIS it's because I want him to go somewhere beautiful do beautiful things and people (laughs) I agree especially the beautiful people I mean you know so if we're in New Orleans I see him taking a ride on Dwayne Pride uh huh yes I do if we're going to go to Hawaii that's Steve McGarrett territory, you know? I mean, so it's about, for me, I mean, there have been times when I'm, as a writer, I've explored difficult concepts um, where I, like, you know, in Finding Atlantis, the main theme of Finding Atlantis is um, grief. Dealing with grief. Even Theseus is dealing with his grief as he's confronted with the grief of this child on a very empathic level. Um, John is having to adjust to firehood, fatherhood, firehood, in, in a way, trial by fire, um, fatherhood, and also um, the grief of losing someone um, from his past that proved to be very important to him. Um, because she is the mother of his child and he's dealing with his son's grief. Um, so there's a lot of grief in that. And that was a very angsty writing project for me. So it isn't something that I like, if I don't sit down and go, Oh, I'm going to tear my heart out today. 
that's never my goal as a writer. So if I was going to have Tony leave in CIS, um, outside of like him being injured on the job, it's just because he got fucking fed up with the disrespect. It's like, fuck you and fuck you and fuck you twice. And I'm gone. And he goes somewhere beautiful and does beautiful people mm-hmm. because because that's what because that's what he should be doing. That's what he should have been doing all along. Right. See, the, the bakery thing. Um, the way when I plotted it, I'd set it around dead air, and that Tony just didn't feel like he would ever be able to handle going in the field again. And I guess you could call that a stress thing, but it's not the way I think of it. It's like a stress burnout. Um, but it's such an immense betrayal when, um. It's such an immense betrayal what happened in dead air that it it's something that as a police, as somebody in law enforcement or as a police officer, that I would think that you have to just believe wholeheartedly in order to do your job and do it effectively is that if you call for backup, it's going to be there. And when that is, when that foundation is taken away from you, when that is shattered, I, there's some, there's some things that it could be very difficult to get that back again in, in a reasonable way. Um, and I, the reason I plotted that is because I wanted to explore the idea of um, Tony, who felt like he couldn't ever trust anybody to that degree again, and then build his trust back up in somebody. Not necessarily to go back out in the field, but potentially um, going back out in the field. So if he wanted to. What would be really interesting is to see him take that experience and funnel it back into law enforcement in a way that it really resonates with other people. So even if Ziva and and, um, Tim managed to get away with doing what they do to to him, which I don't agree with, um, that they would never be able to live it down. Like him going to um, Fletzy and working as as a teacher there and as an instructor and one of his major courses that everybody has to take is um undercover work and what if he also supporting your partner in the field what if he also teaches a basic basic ethics class yeah because i could see him going into the training direction too um we talked we also talked what podcast we've talked about tony in a lot of podcasts i don't know that i would ever be able to which which one it was but we did talk about one where he um was basically I don't I don't remember what the setup was, but then he was just kind of trying to stay out of dodge for a while, and then he went and did fugitive retrieval with Ian Edgerton for a while. Yeah, and it, yeah, I, I, just, that. I, don't, I don't remember the I setup, mean, so but I remember you, that was that was the direction. If you put him at Fletzy, that puts him in a really good position. He stays in the same area, um, basically. In, in, I'm in Fletzy, pretty close there. Mm-mm. Where is it? Georgia. Georgia. Huh. I mean, there's multiple, there's actually multiple locations, but the one that is the main law enforcement training center, the one people go and stay out for like four or five months, that's in Georgia, Glencoe. Uh, I mean, I, think- I you know, it's, it's my headcanon that Ian Edgerton lives in, in D.C., but I could move him. <laughs> so maybe he's at Fletzy too teaching because he's tired of being in the field. Or he could just do a rotation periodically. They could have instructors that come in. Um, and teach a course, and then they get a different person to teach next time. And um, I mean, I just I'm, I'm looking to provide Tony with a ride. Yeah, <laughs> we actually had discussed a whole podcast again. That, yeah, that he gives Ian a ride. You know, isn't don't don't we have art just for that? Tony gives Ian Edgerton a ride. We in fact do have art for that. Let me share it with you guys because it is amazing. Hold on, 
<laughs> she was in a she was in a unicorny kind of mood one day. Um and she made art, a lot of unicorn art. I made a lot of unicorn art. Did we already do that podcast? We did not. My sister made me an origami crane. Thank you. I I didn't even know she could do origami. Oh. <laughs> Want me to get it? I mean, it's not in my folder where it should be, so I'm kind of concerned. Yeah, it's in my used folder. We did not do that plot draft. Did we do that? I don't think we did. I mean, I could have I could have spaced off a whole plot drift, I guess, but they're saying we did. We've that could be the one where he does fugitive recovery with Ian. I guess that there was a reason why we Okay, yeah. we did that. See, I blanked on a whole podcast. What the hell? But I've 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 not slept since then. That's part of the problem. We're old ladies, um, guys. We're old ladies. So, I mean, that fugitive recovery is very different than um and you know criminal investigator so you could go there are directions you can go within the law enforcement umbrella like instructor like um profiler or intelligence or um what else there's just there's there's a lot of different options but what the hell now people are even linking me um well, someone needed to because we both forgot it. <laughs> yeah, we did. Right? Listen to that later. Um, but there are a lot of different options you can do where he stays kind of in the law enforcement umbrella if you want to go that route. But I tend to be very entertained by the idea of him like completely leaving. Now, my EAD was it this year or last? I don't remember when. I did do an EAD where he becomes a small town sheriff after not sheriff deputy after becoming a true crime writer. Um, and that was called Overqualified. And that is up on the Evil Author Day. Um, so that's, I thought, felt like it was a little bit of a different direction. <laughs> yeah. I have in my plot notes that Noah worries that Styles will, will wear Tony out because Styles becomes quite enamored of like spending time with Tony because Tony can keep up with his like change in directions and conversation and that he's so random and Noah worries that he's gonna um wear Tony out. Tony's like, oh no, it helps me stay focused to have him babbling in my ear. It's a really good it's really good for my focus to have him going on like that. <laughs> And I was like, and then of course the story, the pairing is Tony and Noah. So Noah's sitting there worrying about, I don't know if I can deal with two of them. <laughs> but he's so pretty. <laughs> he is pretty. But that's the story where I had Tony become a spite writer. He wrote a book out of spite and then decided he didn't like it. But the other one um, that's on EAD, which is sort of finished, it, it, it's only on EAD because I wasn't certain if I was going to write more in that universe or not. And while I was undecided, I didn't want to like firmly commit to where the story ended. And that is, he's definitely a very, he's a famous writer in that story. And that's called Beautiful Decline. <clears throat> and I absolutely do not need to know if you didn't read it because of your religious objections. I've heard enough of that to last my entire life. Honestly, we never need to know if you read us for not or not because of your religious objections there is a field in hobbiton where i grow my fucks and it is empty totally barren how was it what's that i want I always wanted that pillow that says behold the field in which i grow that my fucks lay thine eyes upon it and see that it is barren 
<laughs> it is the oh, yeah, you're right. It is the only barren field in the Shire. <laughs> I have that line in um, a Hobbit fic where Bella, uh, my female Bilbo, is a fae, and um, Gandalf is trying to get her to go to. Um, Rivendell to see Elrond and she won't do it. And he said, he's like, but, 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 and she says, I have a field <laughs> in the Shire or I grow my fuck scared off and it is bare. <laughs> um, so I have to, okay, so this minor Tony detour here. Okay. But this is what they did to me. This is what you guys did to me in the last podcast, okay? Is after the last podcast we did, where the Traducan happened. It wasn't a Traducan thing, though. But it's that kind of cracky mentality that sometimes it starts to incept your brain. So I got this idea for a... There's like a sort of like... So we'll call them like cosmic entities. Not like the Marvel cosmic entities, but still basically primordial beings that have lots of power. And they periodically assess... Um, planets to see if they're ready to step up onto the cosmic stage and be part of the rest of the galaxy, right? So they send some undercover representatives to Earth to see if Earth is ready as a species to become recognized more widely. And Earth fails miserably. Of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> fails miserably and mostly around the area of prejudice, right? And um, so the envoys of the this, these cosmic entities are basically being held captive and there's like torture imminent kind of thing. And so this cosmic entity decides, gets really pissed off and comes in and like, you know, does the whole big reveal very publicly. Cosmic entities exist and we're a little bit pissed off and we're going to teach you guys a lesson. And so they decide that they are going to change the foundational nature of the people on Earth and that they look through and they study sort of like the queue, I guess. They look through and they study popular the media and popular culture for how in our aspirational sets, because if they look at fiction and uh, our entertainment mediums as our, our aspiration for how other species oh. should be treated, oh, no. they they go, well, in your in your science fiction and your fantasy, you at least aspire to treat other species better. So what we're going to do is we're going to change the rules. Now, we believe, what we think, is that the most popular widespread in this world is this universe called Harry Potter. However, <laughs> we think, we think that this is clearly heavily inspired by the Lord of the Rings. So, all of you, at specific date, we're going to give you like one month to prepare. You're going to wake up, and you will either be a hobbit, a dwarf, an elf. A uh, Maiar or a um, human. Don't know which we'll be. We're going to leave it up to chance. <laughs> so buckle up, Buttercup. It's things are about to get different. <laughs> so completely ridiculous, right? And then <laughs> look, do you guys see what you have done to Jillian? Do you see what you have done, Emmy? Are oh. you here? This is your fault. <laughs> So, so this is obviously would tell this from Tony's point of view, and he, and the thing is, the cosmic entities put in a little bit of a loophole in to make sure that the world didn't fall apart. So Tony wakes up the day this is going to happen, 
Because he doesn't know. Is he going to wake up? Is he going to be a hobbit? Is he going to be a dwarf? Is he going to be... What is he going to be? He doesn't know. And he wakes up, and he is the new personification of Yavanna. <laughs> because, of course, they put the, the Valar in place, too. So, he needs to find his Mahal. <laughs> This is what you guys do to me. This is this is amazing. <laughs> amazing. We should have like a whole challenge on the wild hair of just the crackiest thing you could possibly think of to write and that you're embarrassed about, but you wrote it anyway, and, and here it is. <laughs> and here it is, yes. <laughs> this would probably be my entry, except I already did put that Deadpool thing out there. <laughs> now, this, this exceeds Deadpool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's utterly insane, but that would be a new career for Tony, you know. Nature goddess. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. It's a new career. I mean, there's no way around it. That is a new career. And the thing is, I had this idea, it's like, there's because there'd be all this kind of fallout, right? I do a big time skip. We have a, we have a podcast about the art of the time skip coming up, but. I do a time skip to see how the world has shook out, right? Because, like, the hobbits, you know, people who woke up as hobbits, they don't want to go and work their corporate jobs anymore. <laughs> this is bullshit. Where's my... And, and the dwarves don't want to work outside. And it just gets to be... <laughs> the world just has problems. And I did kind of have the idea that... Uh, that like, the hobbit next door is pissed off at you because you won't barter with their, for, um, for carrots. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I actually had the idea that orcs would pop up, but they would be representative of people who were utterly corrupt. Um, the problem is, is then that, you know, you wind up having to have like a, yeah, basically, um, you wind up having to have like a prison colony kind of thing. Because what do you do when you walk out your door and your neighbor's an orc? You're like, oh. Well, shit, the only, the only good orcs are dead orcs, so you need to get a sword. <laughs> I mean, it just needs to be. Right, you need to run through me for the nearest weapon because <laughs> someone asked me go what goes in war porridge, and I think that that's a decision that every warrior should make for themselves. I'd put cranberries and pecans personally. I was leaning towards walnuts and strawberries, but yeah, I would share with you my wonderful wife. You could have my cranberry <laughs> and pecan war porridge. <laughs> Someone asked me where that came from, and I'm like, I have no idea. Sometimes I you was just pop out I, of it. I was riding, and it came out. <laughs> there was no it's, planning. The war porridge was not planned. <laughs> but I could see it. It's, it's like something you, a kid would say. Yeah, because well, it it probably I I would actually my interpret my guess at the time when I read that was that it came from an adult, right? Because it's like you need to eat your porridge, but there's going to be a battle today. Well, but this is war porridge. <laughs> yeah, I passed war porridge. Because how do you get a kid who wants to go, you know? Um, no, that kid's serious go... about his porridge. <laughs> he is now, but if, what if he didn't want to eat on the day the first time they had the garden gnome battle, you know? That's true, true. He's like, but you have to have your porridge so you'll be strong for the battle. Is this war porridge? It is war porridge. <laughs> it is absolutely 100% war porridge. Yeah. It, it was less work than pincing a pang um, penguin. 
Well, right. I'm sure because you had to go back and you didn't have to account for war porridge earlier in your story. Right, right. War porridge didn't, come, didn't have to come up earlier for it to make sense. And you didn't have to figure out how to deal with waste management when it came to war porridge. <laughs> Man, that penguin. Well, I mean, we could have like a crack, crack challenge or something that, you know. We could do your... crack bingo. <laughs> I don't know if we need to prompt some people to be cracky. <laughs> She's like, fuck you, Kira. <laughs> That's what was said in that silence between what I said and what she said. Fuck you, Kira. <laughs> well, it's crack for me. It's like, it's something that happens after I, it's just, it, it's a very organic thing that just happens sometimes. It's not something that I can just conjure. <laughs> I have, a, I have a hard time coming up with crack ideas. So I'd probably need prompts. Oh, uh, well, yeah. But um, it just sometimes it just, you know, it it's just like if somebody mentions Turducken. Yes, like Sleeping Dragon. <laughs> Sleeping Dragon was definitely not planned. So I know some of you don't need encouragement. But it would it would make my heart warm if Gibbs woke up a dwarf. Actually, I was thinking dwarf forgives. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And he develops a, and he has a uh, caffeine allergy. <gasps> that is the most terrible thing. And when he sees Tony at work, because Yvonne is not there, you know, McGee is a pretentious elf, a pretentious stuck-up elf. Yeah. And well, he, I mean, he, his his freaking video game name is Elf Lord. Um, it's Elf Lord. Um, but he, um, I mean, Yavana is that's no old. reward. That's no reward at all. What is no reward? Um, they said, "Why well, reward him with immortality? Immortality with no hope of an afterlife is zero reward. That is a zero end game." Right. So, um, Gibbs would have a hard time, like, even telling Tony what to do anymore, because Yavanna is not their god, but it's the wife of their god, so it'd be like, why do I feel funny about you? You look, you look like, you sort of look like a human. Why do I feel like I can't even tell you what to do anymore? And Tony's like, I really have no idea. I can't speculate on that at all. But don't, but don't touch my curls. <laughs> Elves, I mean, he like tries to half hit smack Tony in the back of the head like once and he gets like slapped from high above for no reason at all. He just gets knocked down. It's like, bitch, <laughs> you out of your mind. You don't, you don't, you don't hit hobbits, number one, and you don't hit that hobbit in particular. <laughs> Honestly, I think that the change realistically would make Gibbs, um, treat Tony like a child because he would be so much I mean he the average hobbit is only three foot mm -hmm. oh, and nothing to, for many nothing... people the hobbits would look like children and it would be like it would be really difficult to number one take them seriously and number two treat them like adults well I would totally so. go with, with I would totally go with random foliage everywhere Tony went I would totally go down that path 
I mean, I think that's fair then because we don't actually ever see Yvonne in um Hobbit in um The Hobbit or in Lord of the Rings. I haven't read the extended. I'd probably uh, I'd probably also have mood foliage. Like if he was sad, like it would kind of droop. And when he was happy, it'd like bloom and potentially even there, pollinate. There should be flowers in his hair. <laughs> Definitely flowers in his hair. That he can't get rid of. Like, he, why are there flowers in here? I throw them away, they come back. I like these. If I throw them away, there's no telling what would show up next. The blue looks really nice with my eyes. Shut up, Gibbs. <laughs> and when he's turned on, that's when the, the that's when the flowers start to pollinate. <laughs> it's like he meets whoever Mahal is for the first time, and all the flowers start to pollinate. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with my what's wrong with my hair flowers? My mood flowers are doing something very strange right now. <laughs> Oh, I don't think Yavanna's pollen causes anybody to have hay fever. Because she's a goddess. That's right. He's a goddess. <laughs> he's, he's a goddess named Yavanna. <laughs> yeah, so this is what happens on when we go down. This is what the Traducan beam did to me, was this. But it should be like, like a bonsai it that's pissed off because it's not in its pot anymore. He can just walk around with Tony. This is bullshit. <laughs> Where's my pot? I don't know where your pot is. <laughs> He's got a little sword. <laughs> the little sword would be perfect. <laughs> and then everywhere Tony goes, the hobbits are kind of mooning after him. <laughs> Entitled and superior. That's why Tim would be one. As far as how elves would act. Um, how would they act around Tony? I think they would behave themselves around any of the the deities. They would probably have some more insight. Well, it's true. Mahal crafted the dwarves, but I imagine that Yavanna made the hobbits um, at least somewhat in her image, kind of. And Mahal crafted the dwarves to be somewhat like him. That's what I would do if I was a god. <laughs> like, I'm going to make some little people just like me. <laughs> now, granted, the There's ends... There's no don't... one here who looks like me. <laughs> now, granted, the ends don't really fit that model, but, you know, still. That's... But, um, you can do what you want in your own fan fiction. That's right. <laughs> he gets tossed around the building by a little bonsai tree. <laughs> <laughs> Can you make your tree behave? No, I can't. As a matter of fact, I don't even know where he came from. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, um, nature goddess is a different career for Tony. <laughs> Anyways, it's not a bad choice. I mean, it wasn't a choice, but, you know, the, the, the universe made that choice for him and, it, and it's not a bad one. He's not a bad one to get that kind of power. He doesn't want to do anything with it. He's like, I, I'm just going to go to work. And then, you know, and so the, the what shows up at work for the MCRT, a, a snooty elf, a, a, a surly you know, dwarf, a surly an dwarf, an orc, and a hobbit, a hobbit goddess, except in a dude's body. And everybody's like, well, this doesn't seem like it's going to go well. <laughs> 
I mean, the orc wouldn't make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody would be like, you cannot. All Yeah, all of the plants in the building would rise up and find a fork and be standing there like, you cannot work with our goddess. Get the fuck out. I think Vance is an elf, too. Yeah, probably. He already has I'll, a superiority complex. Some people would still be human, but it's a matter of, like, who, who would be... I think Ducky would be human. He would be a very, he'd still be a very chatty human. I think Abby would be human too. Abby would be human and pissed because she wanted to be an elf. <laughs> no, she does not need that kind of power. Yeah, I could see Palmer being a hobbit. Well, it, uh, there would be a lot of issues with, with identifying dead bodies. I mean, would their genetic signature change? Yes. Yeah, I mean they they probably wouldn't even have the same fingerprints. Um, they may or may not have some of the same features. Just depends, you know, on on what. <laughs> Absolutely, no goblin. Yeah, could be. Yeah, yeah, goblin. Now, I would probably not. I wouldn't do like actual the actual characters from the Lord of the Rings, um, and even. Tony wouldn't even necessarily be quote unquote Yavanna. It's just he would be fill that role. Whichever was the goddess responsible for the hobbits, that would be Tony. So that way I don't have to try to figure out well who's Elrond and who's who's um who's um Bilbo and who's this. So I wouldn't actually use the Lord of the Rings characters. I would just otherwise, because the thing is the Lord of the Rings is perceived as a as a work of fiction and it's turning the world into this fictional universe, but not the characters. Because there's too many people. Otherwise, you'd have, like, it would actually be a setup ripe for worse discrimination because there'd be a lot more humans than there would be anything else. Yeah, I agree. Senior would be a goblin. Anyway, it would be totally a, um, it'd be a different job for sure. Okay, back on track. Um, yeah, I think the point of it would be that in order to get the world back on track, that the whoever the god the gods and goddesses would have to come effectively identify themselves because it wouldn't be obvious who they were, and they'd have to figure out how to get the world on track and not let them not let society completely fall apart. It's like, look, we either get this together, or um, what they do next to us could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> That's right. Do you want to think about some of the other works of fiction that they might choose to impose on us? I don't actually want to live in Wizarding Britain. So if we could get this together, that'd be great. I mean, while magically, how likely is it that you would be a werewolf? So, you know, you need to slow your roll. Or a centaur. <laughs> so, because as cool as magic sounds, the odds that any of us are going to be wizards and witches is slim. Yeah, I refuse to turn into Twilight. I do not want to sparkle. Yeah, I don't want to live in the Game of Thrones either. I wouldn't make it. So they all get together. I've got, like, a, okay. I got a smart mouth and moderate to severe joint pain. So <laughs> <laughs> so they could be like, you know, they get together and it's like, here, here's the thing, guys. This non-interference thing, you know, that isn't going to work. We're going to have to interfere. The, we're going to have to interfere like, whoa, because this is going to fall apart and they're going to do something worse to us. And Game of Thrones does not sound fun if you actually have to live it. So let's get this shit together. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd take Pern. None of it sounds great. Oh, yeah, I would take Pern over Game of Thrones, too. I mean, you know, 
given a choice. I mean, I would take either one of them over The Walking Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Wake up and you're a zombie. You didn't even have the they didn't even have the courtesy of giving you a bite first. It's just <laughs> fate decided you were disposable, a zombie. Ta-da. <laughs> Suddenly we're in Winnie the Pooh with a $50 a day on the app. Habit and no pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think Winnie the Pooh is actually the best one to live in. Yeah. Because who wants to have to do a pants? <laughs> we can hibernate. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's look at um, where he goes in various careers. Um, so, like, um, l- let's pick one and do um, kind of a decision tree for it. All right. Which one appeals to you? Um, hmm. I mean, I've already done the intelligence route with. Um, when we when we did Beating Frenzy. And I've read the profiler thing um, where he goes to Team 1 in the BAU, which is not, wasn't a bad choice. It's just not a choice that I would make personally. Um, and you're going to do the bakery thing, so let's not go there. Um, I also have Miss Team 1 in Fracture, um, but then he goes off to lead the leverage team at the end of that story. Mm-hmm. Which is a different career path, too. But the leverage team is a sanctioned team by Homeland in that story, so it's a little bit different. Jilly's actually doing one where he's a radio host, right? You got that plot? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's do the teacher in the film studies. Okay. So when does he leave? Well, for the film studies to work for me, to gel for me, it would have to be before the op, the, the undercover op because if it's after the undercover op, I think it would be a very sour um, career choice for him to make, unless he was doing it like for penance and that would be awful. And I'm just interested yeah. in that kind of angst. Yeah. So um, when does dead air happen? Dead air is after. Uh, after it dead air is season eight and okay. the, the op is season four and five. So, and boxed in is season three, season three, episode um, 12. So let's do it after box 10. Maybe he's been working on um, his master's degree in film studies. And he completes it around the time he gets shot. Or maybe he gets shot. Like, you know, he has to, he hits the ricochet. Um, and he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to take medical leave. And he takes medical leave and he's looking at his options. And, um... He's looking at his the, the coursework he's been doing on the side and realizes he's precariously close to being able to write his thesis for his master's work. So he does. He he takes a leave of absence from NCIS, writes his thesis, and then says, you know what? I'm just not going to go back. Yeah, what if he realizes he's that leave of absence where he thought everything would be awful, that he thought it would be terrible to not have work, and what if he's happier away from NCIS? He's just like, I actually, I'm actually happy to get up in the morning. Who knew? And he realizes it's not law enforcement. He realizes it's just that team has become toxic very quickly with once Eva joined. And then he's just, 
Maybe his give a fuck is broken between the plague and a lot of shit happened to Tony in a relatively short period of time. He lost Kate. Well, he had the plague. He lost Kate. Um, Ziva comes on the team. He gets framed for murder. He got beaten up really badly in that undercover operation. Um, and then, and then the whole boxed in shipping container thing. I mean, that's kind of a lot to hit somebody. And I don't think it would be like he's stressed out and overwhelmed and he has to leave. But what if he's just, sometimes you're just like, it's a slog and I'm tired of it. And I could see him actually just being, realizing that maybe a leave of absence, a longer leave of absence is a good thing for him. And then he stumbles into this teaching film studies and he's much happier. I want that one. I think that it would be um, because after he gets his dis, I mean, after he gets his thesis, um, he would be in a position to teach um, as he's pursuing his PhD. So he could just go all in on that. Then maybe you know that he that he'd done his master's work for film as just something to um, for his own for his own self. It's just like you know, just educating himself, um, and then once he gets done. Um, uh, he did so well that maybe the the university where he was getting his degree offered him a teaching position um, and an opportunity to work on his PhD. And so why should he say no? He shouldn't. Uh, it doesn't have to jive with his desire to protect and serve because there comes a point when you need to protect and serve yourself where you have to make a decision to um, invest in self-care before you become someone um, that you don't even recognize. And this would give him an opportunity to to do something really um, inspiring, you know, inspire others. It would be beautiful. Yeah, I mean, he could do some, eventually move into some side consulting work that is tangential to law enforcement. But I could really see him kind of really developing an affinity for... Um, because Tony made a lot of connections about life through movies and through me media. Um, it's part of how he put, you know, put things together, the part of the connections he made. And being able to teach that to other people could be very satisfying for him. So then the question is, where, where does he go to do this teaching and who does he meet? Okay, so he did his, he would have done his master's locally. So... Um, okay. Hold on, hold on. Huh, it's loading. Got a lot going on, on my computer right now. Let's see. The top six schools for Washington, D.C. Howard University. There's one called The Film Connection. George Mason University. Um, Stevenson University can't pronounce that one american university at washington dc film and media art so i mean of these i'd probably pick howard because it's number one on the list and howard is in what it is literally in washington dc um american university is also in washington dc it's on massachusetts avenue so either one of those would be a good choice I think American University is where is wasn't that the one he was at undercover? I don't remember. I think it was American University. But it doesn't really matter. Um 
but this could you know actually um as he's pursuing his phd and doing you know and teaching um he could move into actual film production which i think that um would really appeal to his character um just that actual process of, of making a movie and putting together um i just think that's something that tony would probably really get into the thought process of 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 creating film creating yeah. movies going for the movie idea that winds up being like a sleeper hit at sundance or something that he just did i was thinking the same project. thing <laughs> i was thinking the same thing the next time they they hear about him he's won a sundance um he's you know he's been you know he's he's been to sundance and it's just like i just i just think that'd be just really um interesting so i'd probably pick howard um but again um american university is also at you know is literally in washington um so is this one i can't pronounce g-a-l-l-a-u-d-e-t gallaudet the l's are probably silent but it's probably pronounced gaudet gaudet okay that's a deaf college Bella. that's how that's how i would pronounce that it's a college of study of arts it doesn't mention it's not exclusively right or is it exclusively i mean i doubt it would be exclusive um there are kind of rules about that um but it could be that after he gets his master's degree um Maybe he gets his master's degree at Howard and he gets offered a scholarship somewhere else to do his PhD work or a research grant, whatever you would, I think it'd be a grant at that point to do his um, PhD work um, and teach. So just since it came up, but it is the only, I just looked it up. It's the only um, sign language immersive um, BAMA and PhD program in the world. Okay, Howard is historically a black university. Um, I'd still pick it. There is a film and media studies program, a film school at Georgetown. Um, yeah, I was surprised that it wasn't on this list of the top six. The top six, six Washington, D.C. film schools for aspiring filmmakers was the list that I was working on. Yeah, I think, I mean, Georgetown is a very typical choice for people to make for Tony going to school. I mean, I've used it. So um, I think picking a different school like Howard could be a really good choice. But this would be his under well, his thesis work anyway for his master's degree. So and then you could put him anywhere. I mean, like de depending on like his thesis and how um, well it's received, he could receive, I mean, he, he could get offers. Like maybe his um, advisor for his thesis was like really super impressed and said, hey, can I pass this to so-and-so at, and he's like, uh, okay. And the next thing he knows, he's got a research grant offer on the table um, or whatever, and a job offer for a different, wherever you would want to send him. Okay. So that school name is Gallaudet. I looked it up. Gallaudet. It said okay. there's actually a whole article um, in the Washington <laughs> City paper about how it is the most mispronounced word in D.C. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the accent on the middle, middle syllable, Gallaudet. Or not accent, emphasis on the middle syllable. Um, so, okay, so he goes and he does that and he's working on his Ph.D. And he's, so would you have it be, would you, would you go the direction that he meet somebody he falls in love with in this and would that be well, like I'm down a the romance road? i'm a so, romance writer at heart so, so I, I knew the answer before that's I asked my the question, but you know 
Um, so would you, would you have it be a little down the road? Like he's like in his PhD program and he's working on a film when he meets somebody or. I mean, I think you'd want to do a time skip. Like I would probably do a prologue where he is, um, he gets called into his thesis advisor's office and says, Hey, you know, the, the guy or woman, whatever I would pick a woman, I think says, um, you know what, you know, I, I really want to send your thesis off to somebody um, because uh, what you did here is really awesome. And he said, okay. And you know, you, and you, I would pick, you know, where do I want him to go? Um, and who do I want him to bang? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to Spencer Reed, but obviously, um, no, because I don't want to get Tony killed. So he will not be touching Will Graham with a 10 foot pole. No. <laughs> That's a good way to get your main character killed and eaten. Okay. <laughs> um, but again, it doesn't really matter where he did his, his, his thesis work. Um, it's about where he's going afterwards. So even if he had gone to Gallaudet to get his um, his master's degree, um, that doesn't mean um, that's where, unless you want to keep him in D.C. Um, so, and I don't necessarily want to keep him in D.C. So if, I mean, there are if lots he, of options. If they did really good work for him, if he, they said, okay, you did great work on this, your master's work, you know, he they, they could get him in probably into any Ph.D. program if it was... And the best schools for film and photography are USC, New York University, California Institute of the Arts. Those California schools are both in LA. We could um, take him to New York and he could bang that hot FBI guy. <laughs> just the hot, there's a hot F. Hot F oh, 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 away. You mean, you mean away? Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> Like there's a hot uh, FBI guy and and oh literally OA. Um, so I mean, if we go to California, which, which was actually my first inclination to go to California, um, I mean, I'm not the huffing heard around the globe. I mean, are you struggling with the romantic prospects out there on the West Coast? My only show out there really is numbers that I really enjoy, and. I mean, I I feel you when I sent when I sent him to LA, I had to have him bang the devil. So, um, right, the picking again, not slim. <laughs> um, and uh, NCIS is a no. So, but it's not just about sex. It's right. It's about it's about having a romantic partner, someone he can really invest himself in emotionally and fall in love because that's like the whole deal. Um. Yeah, it could be Ian Edgerton. You know, maybe Ian is kind of settled down in California. Um, um, you, you could write an OC. It doesn't have to be a fandom character. True, true. I'm not afraid of an OC. It could be Rampart. It could be. <laughs> I mean, that. I mean, Rampart wouldn't be the commandant at that point in his career. Of course, there's still Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Margaret really ships it. <laughs> What? <laughs> Margaret really ships it. The Tony Rampart thing. I think it might become yeah. it, might, it might be her current OTP. 
I think it could be. Or it could be that this version of Randolph Rampart will never be the Commandant because he's left the Marine Corps. Maybe he injured out. He's retired in California. He's surfing. <laughs> or or this this may be a little cliche. I'm trying to decide how cliche it is. Okay. What if like he's I mean, dead. I'm not afraid of a cliche. I know you're not. I know you're not. You you but you you like to take a cliche and bat it around the head. We are going to subdue you until you are no longer looking like a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what if Rampart always knew he was gay and he was sick and tired of waiting for the whole Donuts Hotel thing. So he made a very public departure from the Marines about how he couldn't continue to, you know, um, sacrifice his entire personal life to serve in the Marine Corps because the U.S. government said that the way his sexuality um, was not compatible with being a good officer um, or being a good Marine. And that he, so he left. I said, what if he made a very public departure, making a statement about Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And actually, it stirred up like some public interest in the whole discussion more than there already had been. And it kind of was a little bit like shaming the administration for continuing to allow this to go on. What if Tony made, asked, approached Rampart about doing a documentary about the whole thing? And they met and they worked together on doing a documentary about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Interviewing a lot of service people who got um, discharged or just left because they didn't want to get put in prison. Right. And the one you know. there was a time when violating don't ask, don't tell could get your ass put in Leavenworth. And um, I think a lot of fan fiction writers tend to overlook that um, or tend to not take it seriously. Um, but there were, I mean, that was a real possibility for people serving. Well, it's don't ask, don't tell, don't pursue. And I think that in a situation where he has resigned and come out of the corner that, um, or come out, come out of the closet that um, pursuing <laughs> would have been worse. And a dishonorable discharge can, can be life ruining for some people. Well, and um, if, yeah, and also I mean, depending on the time period, it might not actually be don't ask, don't tell. It might be something the, the previous policy. No, I think we're still. In don't I'm not ask sure when I. I'm pretty sure okay. we're. It's smack dab in the middle. Of don't ask. Don't tell. Because it was repealed in 2010. Um. It was enacted in. 94. Okay. It was. Um. It was based upon a directive. That was begun in 90, December of 93, and it was enacted by Clinton in 94, February of 94. Um, and it lasted until September of 2011. What? what? I thought it was 2010 that it was repealed. No, Queenie. Oh, you gotta fuck me up. I can't handle it. <laughs> oh, Queenie. <laughs> She she just dot dot dotted me on purpose, <laughs> Queenie. Um, there you go. So yeah, so you'd be in. Don't ask, don't tell. But you're kind of in the. Um, if this is uh, around boxed in ish time frame, and I, we're talking like probably a year later, right? So it'd be 2007. Mm -hmm. So we're about four years before the end of it. So that was in more in the. Um, I think that was in the phase when it was more. Uh, from this is completely outside the military perspective, but when it was 
some commanding, some CEOs definitely took the don't pursue part of it very seriously. And some CEOs did not. Um, but I think up from the earlier part in the, you know, the, the mid nineties, it was, it was a really ugly time to be in the I military. Mean, at this point, um, based on my headcanon for Rampart, he'd be a two star. Yeah. And they would, you know, and if he leaves and then makes, um, and then makes a very public announcement about why he left, they would have to be, uh, it would be very public if they decided to make his, his uh, discharge dishonorable based upon coming out. I mean, if he had already been discharged, they couldn't do anything to him. If it had already all been processed. I actually think that they can. But some people, we've got some people in the in the in the in the audience, as it were, who know more about the military than I do. But I actually think that they they can actually change your discharge after the fact. I think so. Wow. Yeah. But would they? I'm sure it's happened to some people. That's the thing. Is I'm pretty sure. I don't. The thing is, I don't think they would do it to Rampart. But I think that could be part of the documentary I mean, because at that point he'd be retired. He could retire. I mean, he would have his 20. There's no way he wouldn't. So they would have to, like, reactivate him and then, what, court-martial him? No, I think they can just change. They have to reactivate you and court-martial you to do it. I thought they could just change your discharge. I mean, if if, if he was retired, that's different than just leaving. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's the point. They probably wouldn't go after Rampart, and that could be part of the, the... the point of the, especially if he makes a big public stink, right? About why he's leaving. Not a stink, but I think he would do it very, with a lot of dignity about why he was doing it. Um, but then Tony could interview people who had been, who had, who had left, who had, who had left, they had done their, they'd done their tour and they had left. And when they came out, they were then given a dishonorable discharge retroactively because they came out as gay. Because some CEO hated which looks them. which looks re- like revenge. It does look I mean, like it revenge. just looks outright look revenge. It's just it's just disgusting. And there probably are some um, honestly probably realistically were some um, people in power in certain positions who did pursue that it in that way. I can imagine, Senna. That's terrible. So yeah, I mean, if it's if it's California, I think that Rampart and like, I mean, because if he's doing his PhD work, he might want to have a film project that could be his film project, um, as part of his dissertation. Um, that makes sense. Or it could be something that he's having his class do. Um, they're they're you know, so it's a class project. There's lots of different people involved. Maybe he even has a student who was um, discharged for being gay. Not dishonorably, but that was just discharged. And um, he brings it up to Tony and says, hey, did you see where that two-star came out um, after after retiring? Um, I know a lot of guys. I think this could be a really interesting project, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I think that could be. I think that could be really a fascinating thing to do with him. And would he approach Rampart, or would they just meet coincidentally and get to talking? Or what do you think? I think that Tony's very proactive, and I think he'd reach out and say, "Hey, you know, I I really, um, I really like the way you you did what you did, and um, I'm doing this um, film, this this documentary on um, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and the impact it has on the American warfighter, and um, I I would like you to participate if you're willing. So, I think that um, 
approaching it from that angle would be really um, respectful. Um, so, and and Tony is, um, I think Rampart at least would be willing to talk to him, even if at first maybe he thinks he doesn't know about this. Like oh, I don't know, but he, I think he'd at least talk to him, and then mm -hmm. once he meets him, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I'm on board with spending more time with this person." Hey, someone, some mentioned that he might not remember him. He could know Tony. Yeah, he could. That's true. Meeting and passing. I mean, Tony could have been on one of Rampart's bases at some point on a case. Mm -hmm. Actually, even if he hasn't met him, he might have some name recognition. Let's say he's met him and um, Tony calls him up and he says, General Rampart, this is because I think once you're a general, you're always a general. Um, he says, General Rampart, I, this is Tony Genozo we met. And he's like, and Rampart could be like, just kind of laughing it off and go, I don't think you can actually arrest him for this, Agent Genozo. Tony's <laughs> like, I'm not actually NCIS anymore, sir. But if they gave me that job, I'd say hell no. <laughs> There's some orders you just have to say no to, sir. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, honey, I remember you. <laughs> I don't need the circumstances. You'd be hard to forget. <laughs> And that could be, and, and Rampart could be really curious about, like, why Tony isn't with it. Why aren't you with NCIS anymore? Well, <sighs> shit went down. As one does. There was a shipping That's container, this. an NCIS agent, and a Mossad operative. It sounds like the setup for a joke, but it really wasn't very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick who? Oh, Shepard? It really complicates things to bring the Shepard angle in. Um... And also, it, it's not a natural progression. I mean, how does he meet a shepherd and go, hey, you know what? I kind of look like you. We should get DNA tests done. <laughs> I mean, if Alex Shepard has been missing this whole time, the the brothers would be incandescent at the sight of someone offering to take a blood test for them. I mean, say say you, that your sibling has been missing since his birth. And you come from a very, 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 very wealthy family. And this is like, we're talking about like Lindenberg baby kind of fame, right? And so every Tom, Dick, and Harry has already offered to take DNA tests for them. Mm -hmm. It would be infuriating to have some asshole come up to you and say, hey, we kind of have the same eyeballs. Do you want to get DNA tests done? I don't know which one of them would punch him first. <laughs> Well, that, I know how many of them would be lined up to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why all of them. That's why in uh, If Found, when Patrick calls David and tells him they found Alex, he's like, he just kind of, David just kind of deflates because I thought we said no more of this, Dad. I thought we said no more Alex. I can't deal with it. I just can't. And David, and, you know, Patrick, I didn't find him. The FBI did. <laughs> oh, well, in that case. Whoa, we um, need to talk. Because I imagine with the wealth the, the Shepherd family has, that this would have been a lifelong problem for them that they would have gotten so yeah. tired of as people who happen to look like a member of the family claiming to be the lost Shepherd baby. I mean, it was easy to cast all those men together to play family for me because they all have that same profile that Hollywood is really in love with. And so. Uh, <laughs> You're right, Susan. That actually is a good idea. That would be another avenue into. Um, the thing is, somebody has to be sick for that to happen. 
somebody has to be sick, right? Like somebody or needs someone kidney. has to have taken a catastrophic injury and like need a new oh yeah need a new kidney. Maybe David and Matt aren't a match, and so they are looking for a kidney for John donor registry, and they get a you know. Bone marrow would be somebody sick, though. That's I wouldn't want to do. I'd I'd rather do injury than sick. Um, yeah, bone marrow is leukemia, right? At the probably. minimum. Yeah. Um. So, if they're looking, they get it, and they you know, they get a call and they go, "We got a we got a match in the donor registry," but it's a little bit too good of a match. It's actually almost a perfect match for John. It, yeah, well, the thing is, is if it's John, his career as an, a military officer is over. Um, true, but it positions because John. Get, yeah, because you can't you can't be active duty with one kidney, even even if it's your own kidney, much less have to having to have a kidney transplant. So, if you want to ruin John's career, that's the that that's the path you take. Um, otherwise, it, it would have to be. Um, Patrick or David. I mean, I, t- I, t- I tend to put Matt in the, in the military, so I, I wouldn't want it to be Matt. Um, but what if it isn't any of them? What if it's David's kid? Oh, yeah. And maybe he, the kid needs a kidney transplant. And nobody's a good match for him in the family. Well, I'm always intrigued by a new way that they can find out about Alex, you know. But, um, you know, so you have to be careful when you're picking that because, you, I mean, unless you want to remove John from Atlantis and from the military, um, then that's the way you would do it. But it does, it actually would position, depending upon when you did it in the timeline, it could position John as the civilian leader of the city. It could. I mean, if the city loves him. If they would let him step through the gate with one um, kidney. And they might not. Well, it probably depends upon how upset Atlantis gets about John's permanent removal. <laughs> Atlantis won't True. turn the water back on until John until Shepard's back. Shit's going to hell, so we, so we need to we need to get the Shepard back on th- the city. Yeah, because your liver will regrow, so it could be a liver transplant. Um, well, this is what set in ninety four ninety five, um, two thousand oh six two thousand seven. John is definitely on the city at that point. I'm opening up my timeline. My very sarcastic timeline that really should probably be labeled that time Kira bitched about Keller not dying for three seasons. Right. This is probably a ridiculous thing. This is an awful thing for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. 2004 until 2008 was the official dates for um, Atlantis. Yeah, but I I think Tony's more uh, of the the Shepherd family. I think Tony's more likely to be in a donor registry than anybody else. Um, agreed. I just don't think people with a lot of like possibly with kind of wealth and status that Patrick Shepherd has probably never even thought about being in a in an organ donor registry or a bone marrow donor registry. I just don't think it's on his radar. So Tony, with his, the life he's led, it's just more likely for it to be him that's in the registry uh-huh. already and it's you know right so that's why i just think it's improbable that if tony's looking for a match the other you know it'd be more likely to match to tony than then you know tony needs a transplant and, and that because honestly john absolutely would not be on it no not as active service not the not as active duty because that's like i said that's a career ender and and you do that for family, you wouldn't do it for a stranger. 
So I think it works that if like, especially if it's one of the kids, if it's a kid like uh, David's son or something that, um, you know, they find out that there's not quite a good enough match in the family for whatever reason. And that they're just going to, you know, maybe. And maybe with a kid, it could be, I mean, childhood leukemia is not as rare as I wished it was. So a bone marrow transplant um, would actually be very likely. Yeah. But it could be a kidney. Yeah, you have to pick how sick you want this kid to be. That's, you know, an author choice. Yeah. I don't tend to like writing cancer personally. So, no, it's, no. especially lately, it's been a little bit of a hot button for me. So, I don't think I would go that path. That's some, some, some of my personal demons I would not choose to exercise in. I mean, you know, I personally wouldn't want to write it, but it is a very viable decision for the tree. Absolutely. It's just, yeah. I would. So, it, it absolutely is. If, so, if you found that to be an inspiring idea and you want to, you, you you do you boo i just i would do it for personal reasons so but um i mean why why would a kid need a kidney transplant um or liver i watched an episode um of a t i'd have to check it to see how viable this is but there was an accidental overdose of uh, acetaminophen led to a kid needing a um i think it was a liver transplant and um, I'd have to check to see just how much for a kid, how much acetaminophen you'd need to cause that. But yeah, I would. I don't know that I want to do traumatic injury, but some kind of medication or um, something that was, you know, something like that would be. Well, I haven't. I really don't want to write someone trying to murder a kid, you guys. <laughs> That's well, but it could have been it, down there. not murder, but it could have been an attempted abduction, and they botched the the sedation and um, screwed up his uh, liver or kidney. In that case, I'd probably go with Patrick over a child. I mean, we could just have Patrick shot. Yeah, I would definitely not want to ride an infant overdosing on any kind of medication. I mean, if if Patrick gets shot, maybe maybe okay. So this is um. Someone trying to get Shepard. John. Um, this is like totally, completely off the podcast, you guys. <laughs> so someone wants to get at John. Wants to get a hit at his DNA. So he um, arranges the attempted assassination of Patrick Shepard. Let's take him down but not kill him. Um, which theoretically should bring all of his children running in his direction, right? Yeah. Um, Even his estranged With the son. end goal of him trying to take John. Um, maybe it's a trust plot. It's always a viable option. Um, and uh, John puts up more of a fight than they anticipated and doesn't. he doesn't actually get to kidnap John because John kills him. Um, but and the end result is, is that Patrick Shepard needs um, some kind of organ transplant, um, whether it be um, maybe he's only functioning on one kidney. David could have his other kidney. It could be why David's not military. But liver would be simpler. Liver would be simpler. Yeah. I mean, how much damage can you take to the liver before? I mean, can you function with a no liver working while you look while they look for a transplant? 
He'd ha it'd have to be, I think, they, partially they, they put you on some kind of machine, right? Is there a machine they put you on? No, liver, liver would have to be partially functioning but failing. It would not be able to be not f not functioning at all. It's not like they can do like they can with kidneys where they... Right, um, do dialysis. So if we have him... It has to be his liver's failing and he's got a limited amount of time. And, you know, it's like, well, one of the kids, like maybe, maybe John is the best option, but he's not a great option. And so they're like, we're going to look... Because anti-rejection drugs are hell. So, I mean, they're better now than they used to be, but they're awful. So, yeah, I had a relative who actually got cancer from anti-rejection drugs. He got a kidney and a pancreas transplant. Five years later, he died of brain cancer. Damn. I mean, so I would think the closer the match, the better. Um, it's not actually Fanon that Patrick was former military. Um, in the original bio for John Shepard, Patrick Shepard was in the army. And so was John. <laughs> well, but they. John they was an army pilot, uh, an army helicopter pilot. But they never went anywhere with either of those two things. So I think Fanon went, went all in on it. But Cannon sort of doesn't mention anything about it. In, in the and then Cannon retconned it later. Yeah. But then they could go, we've got a perfect match and this uh guy here, um, this guy who now the thing is if you want if we're if we're in if we're in this other story, are we in are we doing this along with the Tony I, Rampart idea? I don't know. It just kind of went off the rails as it often does. Well um, it, if but, it you is know, it, it feels like it's a different story, but if it was yeah. part of that, it could be like an episodic thing where Tony's settling down into his life. Because, I mean, the thing is, that's the way life works, right? It kicks you in the teeth when you least expect it. So he's settling down in his life. He's got this flirtation, maybe even a romance, building with this this general on NLA. And he gets a call from, you know... Um, you know, and they and they talk to Patrick, but we found a match in the in the donor registry, but we're saying this is this looks like a first degree relative to us, and they're all so going. Do you have a first degree relative that didn't show up to get tested by name? And of course, Patrick was. There was there. There'd only be one. There's only one first degree relative that we wouldn't have had any way of contacting. Where is this guy? And that's that's my kidnapped child. That's the only one. And so they would have to call the FBI. Yeah, at that point they can't even contact Tony. They have to contact the FBI. I think mm -hmm. because they have to. I don't think the donor registry could even release his name legally. I think they no. would have to call the FBI. They'd have to say, "Yeah, we've got a first degree relative in LA. Do you know who that is?" And they'd be like, "Wait a minute, what? We don't have any first degree relatives in LA." Yeah, you do. And they'd be like, "Well, <laughs> we can't." And Patrick could be like ready to. You, you mean my son's in Los Angeles and you're not going to give me his name? I am not allowed to give you his name, but I will call the FBI right now. <laughs> Immediately. I will leave this room call, call the FBI. I'm calling the FBI right now on my phone. <laughs> I, I'll do it right here in front of you because you look like you're about to have a fit. <laughs> Just calm down. No, I don't think that'd be Fornell's bailiwick. There's a whole, there's a whole department dedicated to missing children. And that's what he would be. In fact, he would probably be one of the coldest cases they've got. Mm -hmm. at his okay. age yeah the only reason and if found that fornell was working the case because it was because it was it's because of how it came up it, it came up in the course of fornell's existing investigation right i mean tony would have been would have been missing when they still put babies and kids on milk cartons yeah you could actually do the tie-in with um the without a trace show and have jack malone show up 
Mm, um, that's nice. I like that. Jack Malone shows up to to take statements, and he flies out to the West Coast, makes an appointment with Tony, and says, "You know, this is Jack Malone from the FBI. I need to have a talk with you." And Tony's like, "I'm really busy. I've I don't really have any time for law enforcement these days. I've got a general and a film career now." <laughs> it wouldn't be Martin, and it wouldn't be anybody else on his team. It would be Jack, because the son of a you could even say at that point in Patrick's life, depending on um, his his contracts with the government, it's just not a billionaire mm-hmm. who was stolen from the hospital as an infant. They don't send, they send the head of the unit. They don't send an, a, a regular agent, a special agent. They send a special agent in charge. Um, there'd probably be more than one of them. Jack would probably meet somebody in California at, at the FBI office closest to Tony and and Tony would have two SACs on his porch if not an assistant director which is who I had running the doing the notification on uh, NFL was an assistant director right because it's it's extremely high profile and they you know you don't want to make that mistake and they show up in that's Tony's a, that's porch that's a CYA situation right <laughs> Randolph Rampart opens the door and the FBI agent just gets immediate headache and go this day is not going to go well this is just getting worse by the moment. <laughs> and if Tony's got his PhD at that point, they can be Dr. Denosa, we have to you're you're in the you're in the national Don- bone marrow. I mean, you're in the, uh, the 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 donor registry. And Tony's like, yeah. I haven't committed any crime. Somebody better not be framing me for something again. I can't deal. Um and they'd be like, Well, no, no, but uh they they somebody in need of a kidney you're you're a liver transplant you were matched against and uh it turned us first degree relative of patrick shepherd let tony connect the dots and tony's like oh hell no baby <laughs> no 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 you've got to be a mistake this has got to be a mistake and they go well we can run a dna test you know confirm that would be really helpful to us but uh we have an investigation we need to run at this point so and we, we we hope you understand that. <laughs> and he would. He would understand it. And you gotta think, you gotta think to yourself, is is that Tony's going to recognize that he's been a crime victim his whole life. And that his biological father, who had his baby stolen from him in the hospital, needs a liver. And it, Tony would be, you know, eye on the pro, eye on the ball. He'd be like, okay, so there's a dude in, in in Virginia, who need to deliver, and you're thinking it's my father, and I'm the best match. And okay, I, I, I clearly I need to get to the East Coast, and you guys have an investigation to run. I have no idea where Denosa Senior is at the moment, so good luck with that, because I have I have there's nothing I can help you with at this point. I mean, I think at that point he'd also say, "Look, I'm, I'm we can go do the liver transplant, but I don't want to meet him at this moment." I don't think it's a good idea to meet him before surgery for either of us. I mean, because they're not going to be able to confirm DNA the moment he lands. That's not scientifically realistic. Um, I know that Patrick would want to meet him, but I don't think logically it's a good idea. Even if his DNA is still in the system, I think they'd want to take a fresh sample. Mm-hmm. Just in case. They'd want to confirm because what's in the system could have been hacked or whatever. They want a swab from somebody's mouth from to match against a swab from somebody else's mouth, if at all possible. They would take fresh DNA samples from both Patrick and jo- and Tony. 
But I, I don't know if Tony would want to meet him before the surgery. Well, I think it'd be... But then you have to balance that between the fact that Patrick would be fit. Yeah. At the idea that his that his missing baby is in this hospital. And what the fuck do you mean I can't see him? I think Tony would leave it up to Patrick. Because I think in that situation, even if Tony feels like it's not a good idea, then he would... Patrick's the one who's about to go into surgery. And he would defer to what Patrick thought he needed. Because I think Tony would be like, it's too emotionally charged. I th- I could totally see him thinking that. And Patrick being mm-hmm. like, it's more emotionally charged for me to go into this surgery without seeing my son. As a matter of fact, could you gown and and mask and glove him and let him just sit there and hold my hand while I'm unconscious? That'd be great. <laughs> and Tony's like, that's a bit much. <laughs> I mean, honestly, because they're both going to be in surgery. Yes, because they're going to want to pull it out of Tony and put it in Patrick. So, because the least amount of time between body to body in a transplant situation, the better. Right. So they probably would have them. I don't know if they put them in the same OR, but at least adjoining ORs. Yeah, I would say adjoining to avoid, you know. So Tony could put it out there through the doctor. It's like he thinks it might be too emotionally charged to meet before the surgery, and Patrick's like, "Oh hell no, get my kid in here." The thing is, you know, there's the amount, there's the, there's the, and I would be concerned that the, that it isn't actually true. I mean, that there's been a mistake with the DNA, that they, that, that it's not as um, accurate as they think it is, that he is a very good match for the organ, but maybe that they got the degree of relative, of, of being a of relation wrong. I mean, wouldn't you want to be certain? But I do think, I, d- I do agree with you that Patrick would be like, oh, fuck you, and no, and John, go get this, go. go. <laughs> no, his new career is film professor and filmmaker. He's going to make moody black and white films after he gets finished with his PhD. And wear little glasses and date a former Marine. Bang a former Marine. And then That's eventually right. marry a, a, a former Marine. <laughs> <laughs> the former Marines got to get to disapproving looks from an annoyed father over the dinner table for the rest of his life. That's true. It would make the shepherds happy, happier with his less death-defying prone life. It is the cruelest part about if found the whole if found all the plotting I've done is how often Alex gets kidnapped. It's like he needs a bubble. Yeah, I mean he did go to war. He can survive dinner with the shepherds. Probably. But we're talking about over and over again, right? This isn't just a one-time thing. But you mean Alex kidnapping or him having dinner with the shepherds? Dinner? Well, <laughs> either. But specifically, I was thinking of <laughs> dinner with the shepherds isn't going to be a one-time thing. Right. Every single event would be like going behind enemy lines. Patrick would be like, why, why are you dating a man who's He's closer to my age than yours. <laughs> Which is not true, but he would say it anyway. <laughs> I would actually like to put Rampart on Atlantis in charge. That would be great. At some point. I'm not mad at that. You know, do you remember all the flailing around I was doing to... We actually, I don't remember if this actually made it onto a recorded podcast or not, but I was talking about the the Tony romance part of if, if the If Found sequel that I hadn't been able to settle on a partner for him. 
Well, mm-hmm. what if it's Rampart? What if that is the solution? I mean, I think that is the solution. Yeah, I think it is. I think what if what, what if it's Rampart is always the solution. <laughs> <laughs> and in that we in and at the end of that discussion, I think one of the last things we said is it's probably going to have to be an OC. It just I didn't realize it was going to be an OC that already existed. <laughs> I would never put Steve McGarrett in charge of Atlantis. In charge of it? No. <laughs> in charge of you know. I mean, unless I want him to declare war, and you know, I mean, I honestly wouldn't let Steve McGarrett go to Pegasus unless they were in a full-out war situation where he could go out, leave the city, take his dangerousness and his collection of grenades with him to kill Wraith every single day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Wraith cage would be the new shark cage. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Steve. Steve. Steve's on Atlantis to kill Wraith. He's not there to run the city. That doesn't work. So, um, I mean, like I could just see after, um, um, like the whole the the whole thing comes out and everybody's aware. You know, we have that full on, um, what you call it? It's not disclosure. It's oh, declassification. declassification. We have a full on declassification, and the president gets on the gets on TV and says, um, you know, we've got a problem in Pegasus that you're all aware of. Um, we're, we're, we're taking volunteers. His phone starts ringing in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> like half the seals. Like, I want to go. I want to go. I'm game. <laughs> we did call, I mean, Ram- we did call Rampart Tony Marine ship. Um, I have to admit, I really like Tony with Rampart. I really like him with Steve. I really like him with Ian. I actually also really like him with Jack, but I have a hard time getting setups for the Tony Jack thing that worked for me. Um, I know it hurts you. <laughs> no, I'm not really. I mean, I am more of a Patrick Jack personally. Um, but I was just thinking about what I, you know, what kind of consequence, you know, what kind of situation I could put him in um, where he meets uh, and gets with Jack and. I mean, somebody did it really well. Um, where where Tony, Tony was, Journey Home was my first Tony Jack, and it was recent. Because <laughs> <laughs> I because I hid from that fic for a very long time, <laughs> and she laughed at all my points of views, which I weren't. I told you, I told you you would laugh at it. Um, but go big or go home, honey. And I did. <laughs> but the um. Somebody did a really good story where Tony and Jack meet in DC while Jack is there as the head of Homeworld Security, um, and it's just it's kind of a quiet romance kind of situation where they get to know each other. Eventually, Tony gets read in because he just kind of sees too much kind of thing. Um, I can't remember the name of it or who wrote it. I'm blanking, but that but I mean that's one setup. But kind of the soft quiet romance has not been my angle lately. Um, so that's why, you know, and if and somebody's already done it really well, I typically don't feel like I need to do that exact thing again. I think it'd be interesting um, to have, um, to do a fic between Abydos in the beginning of SG-1. Um, because technically Jack is retired um, between Abydos and SG-1, and he gets... Um, brought back in to, to, to live, to, to live, to, to work, um, 
and he, you know, gets reactivated. Um, but what if after um, Abydos, he comes back, um, his his wife leaves him, divorces him. That's been coming for a long time anyway. Um, he really didn't expect to survive it, you know, and he's just trying to live his life, and um, he meets Tony. Well, yeah, Lady Holder wrote one where they have a big old sexy thing. Yeah. Um, it's called Playing with a Big Bad Wolf. Yeah, AOI but, found um, the one I was talking about. It's called um, A Chance Meeting by Mythic Mythic Rivon. Um, it's on AO3. Mythic Rivon's one word, M-Y-T-H-I-C-R-H-Y-V-O-N. It is in the link library. Uh, that's what I was specifically thinking of, where they meet just kind of, I think in a bar, I want to say. Um, and it develops into a full-blown relationship. It's novel length. It's it's a really good read. If you like that ship, I definitely recommend it. Um I like I like the pairing. It's just they're having it's it's a lot easier for me to find situations for Tony and Ian and Tony and Steve and Tony and Randolph than it is um Tony and Jack. It's for what I would write, it's just there's just not a lot of I mean the the more interesting one, I mean an interesting idea would be to have um Tony come to the mountain to do an investigation for NCIS. Um, and to meet Jack that way. I mean, I think that would probably be a good Sentinel Guide one, actually. Um, yeah. Or Tony could pursue the, uh, if, in the vein of our actual podcast topic, um, if Tony leaves NCIS, and it, maybe it's earlier in the Stargate program, maybe he leaves after Chip. Not Chip. The other guy. Chained. The chained guy. Uh, Jeffrey White. Let's say he leaves then. So that was Chained. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say he leans leaves after chained. What if he goes in to work as a linguist? It's just like a gig he picks up because I mean, it's my head can Tony probably speaks the majority of the romance languages, which have a Latin um a Lat he might even be he might even know Latin, obviously not speak it. Nobody really speaks it, but um he might know Latin and it could bring him put him on Daniel's radar. As somebody to come in and help with some translation work. Maybe they put a test out for people who are able to extrapolate some things from Latin, the like proto Latin. And Tony mm -hmm. does really well on it. And so it, he's figuring out what he's going to do next. And so he decides to take the gig, and that's how he meets Jack. It'd be interesting. And Jack could be very kindly predisposed to have him in the mountain because he could actually qualify to carry a handgun. <laughs> it is kind of like the setup for The Last Starfighter. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> the movie references would never end. It would Did never you just end. Starfighter me? <laughs> Is that what happened? Ellie had a reference to the last Starfighter in her November story, if I recall correctly. I think that's when it was because I laughed my ass off at it. Who did? Ellie. Oh. Okay. She the named. Name. She named the ship. Oh, Alex. Yeah. Alex Rogan. You're hilarious. You've been recruited by the, but I would actually, Star League. Yeah, but I would actually imagine that that's part of how the SGC recruits is that you know when they're looking to when they're looking at the the breadth of people who are qualified to do something, they're looking at who has who's capable of holding a security clearance. Tony already has security clearance, right? Um, who 
who does well, they probably do give them some tests to determine, you know, look, look for hidden, for, hidden, you know, in, indications of xenophobia or, um, so yeah, it is a bit of a last starfighter kind of setup, but I still think that that's the way they go about it. So what if the SGC is doing this and they're going around different agencies, picking up, um, people here and there and they hit NCIS and Tony just ticks off all the boxes, all the boxes. He speaks a bunch of languages. Um, he did really well on there. Maybe Daniel's really excited. He's like, look at how well he did on this quiz. And Jack's like, <laughs> we actually need an investigator. Yeah, for but look at Daniel. his range of scores. <laughs> yeah. And, Tony, and Daniel's like, but look at how well he did on this. He, he could pick up ancient in no time, Jack. Okay, Willow says that's canon because that's how one of the people got on board the Destiny. I've never actually watched Universe, so that's really interesting, Willow. They put tests out there? Oh, a video game. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, they could just like, you know, go around the different agencies, you know, and they put out aptitude tests and maybe one night, you know, Tony just takes a bunch of them because he's been sitting there waiting on evidence to come in and he's on the only one there for the team. And there's these, like all these tests that, you know, that are in this little server that everybody has, you know, had gotten an email about. And he just kind of whips through them because <laughs> he's bored. And a couple of weeks later, he gets to meet Jack O'Neill and he's not mad. And Jack's really not mad. Jack's like, Oh, hmm. Someone asked a question that I'm not sure exactly what the context was. So I want to answer it before I get to. Yeah, it's true. You could set it anywhere in the NCIS timeline. It's just, I do like to get Tony out of NCIS if at all possible. If I, it could actually be a competition between McGee and him. And um, Tony okay. gets really competitive and completes them all and scores higher. So. Yeah, and scores hard. That could be, yeah. So somebody asked a question about, I'm still not exactly sure I understand the context, but somebody asked a question about um, how is this touch with tone, match with Tony's DNA never made or never noticed. Um, there's, a, there's big privacy issues with DNA databases, and familial DNA searches are something that are not routinely done. They're not routinely done at the federal level. Some states do them for, routinely. Uh, depending upon the context, like for missing persons or what whatnot, but they're not done standardly at the, f the federal level. And some databases you can't just run. You know, you would not, you would not just just because DNA goes into a database does not mean it's automatically matched up to stuff in another database. So the donor database, they have to specifically be looking for matches that hit tick certain boxes. So even if Tony's a donor, it doesn't mean it's going to match up to a missing child. Somebody has to specifically run that connection. But as a federal agent, he would be allowed to be a donor, and he would be able to allow to give, give you know to give his DNA. Yeah, especially for things he might be in the bone marrow registry or whatnot, because they actually found in that case it was Abby um, working outside the box of CODIS to run against the. Um, bone marrow registry, the bone marrow donor registry, and it's questionable if that was even legal um, for that missing person's data the samples, how they found the where, where, where those legs, where the blood that was in those legs came from. Well, I don't know. I don't, the thing is, I'm not sure that, it, I'm not sure that the plague thing would preclude him from being a donor because it's not like it's a viral infection, it's bacterial. Um, 
So that's like, so if you're going to say, if you're going to preclude anybody who's had a severe bacterial infection from being a donor, you're going to be precluding a lot of people. Now, virus, I think, could be a very different situation, but I would imagine a severe bacterial infection that there's no longer any traces of in your somebody's system, it wouldn't preclude them from being a donor. I think it would be illegal whether she was looking for a victim or a suspect, but I think you're also right that she probably would not get in trouble for it because if you if she found the suspect, the evidence wouldn't be admissible in court. And that's the problem. But since it was just the victim, there probably wouldn't have been any serious consequences, but it still wouldn't have been legal. It's I guess it would be literally I mean, I think it's probably falls under illegal search and seizure, right? To search someone's to search for someone's DNA like that. Well, you're supposed to have um it'd be improperly obtained evidence. So they, it, you have to have a court order and like um, ancestry DNA. So just to give you a real world example, ancestry DNA has repeatedly given up um, DNA to like federal under federal warrants or based on requests from the federal government um, because they're basically you, you agree to allow them to 23 and me, which also does ancestry checking and, and DNA profiling. Um, they have a real big long spiel about how they do that and that they will fight any um, court order, any requests for um, that you give, that they give up DNA information, but that they will comply in the event of a proper, a properly executed, um, what is that term? It's not subpoena. That's not the right term. But anyway, the thing is, they said, but they will attempt to argue it. And they said they've received, they, they give the number of times they've been on their website. They tell the number of times that they've been given. Um, it's not a subpoena. It's, it's a, it's a term for when you're searching for something. I, I, I don't know why I'm having a hard time with the, it's not really a warrant either. It's sort of like a search warrant, but not exactly, but there's a term for it. But anyway, um, They've fought it and they've pressed, they, if they get a properly executed um, subpoena, subpoena is not, uh, subpoena's not the right term, um, it, but it, maybe it is. I mean, I'm just, it's, maybe it just sounds wrong in my brain, but they get the properly executed legal um, document that says that they can have, you know, sort of like a search warrant. If they get a properly executed one, they'll have no choice but to comply, but they push back on all of them to be sure they're all legit. And of the ones they've gotten, they've never once had to actually give up somebody's DNA. Wow. Wow. So the government, that the is government, so ugly. The government has tried repeatedly to get DNA from them and they have fought it off every single time. But the thing is, court order. Thank you. A properly executed court order, if it if they they would push back on it, but that if it's held up by the court, that they would have to surrender your DNA and they tell you that, but they tell you how many times it has been requested. And it's some small number that have court orders have been submitted to them and they fought back on them and they haven't had to turn over anybody's DNA yet. So, um, whereas the ancestry company apparently just gives it up, you know, like they're being paid for it. Um, yeah, there are they usually could be easier ways. Yeah. There are usually easier ways to get somebody's DNA. So, um, Arite saying it's not actually ancestry itself that did that. But the thing is, is that there have been a lot of a lot of issues about privacy with one company and not with the other. So that's just why I mentioned it. That there are that there are issues around just because somebody's DNA exists in one system doesn't mean there's going to be an automatic connection to another. So Tony's DNA existing 
in the law enforcement database was not going to automatically trigger anything. Um, in missing persons. In missing persons. It's just, it's, it's a, a search, a specific search has to be run. And it has to be a specifically a familial DNA search because if it, if the match is going against like his father, which is what I didn't if found, it has to be that search is looking for a first degree relative, right? Otherwise, they're looking for matches to him against him, and it wouldn't be there because conceivably they wouldn't actually have his DNA if he disappeared as a baby at a time when they weren't DNA matching. You guys, I just got some beautiful, awesome art. Um, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> I got distracted by art. Beautiful art is a good happens, thing. As one does. <laughs> I got some amazing art last week. I was, my jaw was on the floor for like, I don't know, 10 minutes. I was like, I didn't even know how to react. I was like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> Sometimes it just happens and you're like, what the, what the actual fuck? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? This is so good. I can't help myself. Yes. In canon, Tony did have sperm probably donated during college. Because he got notified in canon that it had been destroyed. Um, but but what if it wasn't? What if like um, David and his wife wanted to have kids and um, David couldn't, and they bought sperm and it ended up being Tony's. They were looking for somebody that looked like David. Yeah. Oh God! And then they're looking for a DNA match for the kid, and it comes back. Well, actually, weirdly, we're getting a match on his biological father, and they're like. Oh. oh God, what if that's how they found out as they're doing matches and they say, well, you are a first degree relative of uncle's first degree relative or is that second degree relative? It's like, like, well, like, like one of your brothers is actually donated to our facility. Would you, um, based on genetics, just to make sure everything is kosher. Um, David's on the phone. Which one of you assholes? <laughs> Can you matter that? Can you imagine that text? John gets an email three weeks later. Hell no, I didn't donate sperm to some sperm bank in Virginia. Why? Are you? Everything okay? <laughs> David, do you have a headache? But no. What if they? What if they didn't find out until they ran a blood test? You know, just to see if David was a match for his son for um, like a donation or something. And um, they come back and said, "Well, you're." I don't know if I don't know if Uncle is first degree relative or second. I think it's a secondary relative. Um, they come back and go, well, you're, we showed you're a secondary relative to probably an uncle to your son, but you're not quite a good match. It would be better if we could test his father. And he's like, what do you mean I'm his uncle? I shouldn't have any biological relation to my son at all. Well, you do. <laughs> you're definitely a secondary relative. It looks like to us like uncle. And he has a total brain shorting out moment. I don't understand. And then there's that moment where he looks at his wife and says, do I ask her if she banged one of my brothers or not? I'm going to have to ask her if she banged one of my brothers because I thought we did a sperm donation, but. I mean, that's the only logical conclusion, right? Is he goes to her and goes, and what if John wasn't even around at that time? The kid, maybe John's been on assignment. And he goes, did you have sex with Matthew? She's like, What? Well, what if Matthew, what if everybody knows Matthew's gay? Like, Matt's super gay. <laughs> did did you and Matt conspire for Matt to donate sperm and not tell me? And she's like, what? No, of course not. What are you talking about? What is the matter with you? Did you hit your head? 
I don't have time to deal with your shenanigans right now, David. Our son is sick. <laughs> Holy crap. I a lot of pretty art. I did. Fashion sent me some beautiful art. Fashion does beautiful work. I can't even with her. It's just like ridiculous. Wow. That Revenant art is just stunning. It really is. Makes you want to go write it, doesn't it? <laughs> it makes me want to make you go write it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I honestly think that it would be really nice if, if Tony gets um, a career that is fulfilling and makes him happy and doesn't fuck him over or fuck him up. And he gets a beautiful person to come home to at night. And they live happily ever after. <laughs> happily ever after. I really like the film studies idea. Um, I just, I think that there's a lot of things that have been explored within the law enforcement framework already. So I'm just intrigued by expi exploring different ideas, which is why I thought about the radio host, um, Baker, concert pianist. Um, now we're talking about to getting his PhD in film studies and making a movie and winning awards and begging Randolph Rampart. Um, I mean, all that sounds very reasonable. I think it sounds reasonable. I do think Tony has a drive to help people. So I think that would come out in some fashion in whatever he does, even if it's not directly in his career. Um, so I do, I really, you know, there's a sort of a fan in about Tony. Um, like coaching basketball for underprivileged youth kind of thing. Um, there's that fan and it's kind of running around out there. I'm totally all in on that. Uh, yeah. With, I mean, with the, with the, if you tried to combine the ideas we talked about tonight with like the film studies, I mean, you would have to do that episodically because it would be, that's too many major. Too many I major honestly would doing. not combine the film thing with the rampart and the, plot bunny of the organ donation and all that stuff um that is a universe where if he's patrick shepherd's son he would never find out you mean the film studies one yeah yeah it it's it's a lot to put into one universe so also you got to figure out the figure that if you're ever embarking on the idea of a of an Alex Shepard or, or tony is a shepherd au his name doesn't have to be alex it is something to bear in mind that with that kind of hype publicity high profile kidnapping tony's life suddenly goes in a very different direction his life is hijacked at that point by and it's, a, it's a pure damn hijacking yeah i mean there's there's really no going back from that no i mean i had to have him get to that point that he could accept it but i mean he had to get that point and if found where he realized his life was never going to be the same no matter no matter how much he wanted to deny it that it was never it could just never be um so it's just something to bear in mind that, you know, you don't find out that you're, I mean, worse. The only way it could possibly be worse, I think, the only way it could possibly be worse is if Patrick had become president when they figured out that Tony was I was God. thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was like, if Patrick was the sitting president of the United States, that would be worse. <laughs> That's the only way I could think of that. The only thing worse than being this, the famously kidnapped child of a billionaire industrialist would be to be the famously kidnapped child of the president. Or the famously kidnapped brother of the man who saved the world. Because what if it comes out during class, um, declassification when they're searching for the ATA gene openly for the first time um, and they're hitting all these agencies and they hit Tony's and his 
his gene looks like a fucking exact copy of the shepherd gene. And they're like, what, um, Patrick, did you have an affair? Because, oh, wait. So John saves the Milky Way basically from the Wraith. And Patrick is a sitting president. Tony's that like, is, it's done. Yeah. His life as he knows it is screwed. So it, that's something to just bear in mind with that kind of scenario is that he, he doesn't just go back to life as usual. And having him throw a tantrum about that, those circumstances is both out of character and immature. So I'm just saying. I mean, I think that he would embrace the idea of, of having family that cared about him. I think he would be, um, there would be a mourning period that he would look, you know, that, that what he that what he thought was his career was over. Um, there would be a waking up moment when he realizes just how toxic his situation was. He looked at it from the from a different perspective and was like, what the actual fuck? Because a lot of times you're in a toxic situation and you don't know how bad it is until you're out of it looking on the other side. And it was like, why the... How the fuck could I put up with that? And honestly, a lot of us have been there. So it's something that um, I think a lot of people can relate to is that you don't realize how bad the situation you're dealing with. And it, it, a lot of, for a lot of people, it's either work or family that have been those toxic situations, right? And sometimes um, it's both. Work and family, yeah. I mean, sometimes occasionally you get into those kinds of situations with your friends, but it's a lot easier to decouple from your friends and see and, you know, how toxic it is than it is to decouple from your family or from the job you have to go to every day. Because you develop coping situations that allow you to get through co coping situations, coping mechanisms that allow you to get through um, a toxic situation. And eventually they start to feel normal. So um, there's a lot of different points in NCIS where Tony could just be out on wheat leave for a couple of weeks. And I do like the idea of him taking tests on the, on the internet because he's bored and getting the attention of the SGC. And actually anytime he gets the attention of the SGC, if you wanted to do a Tony's a shepherd AU, um, they could notice his gene and then they compare his DNA to John's and that becomes a problem. Um, or a solution depending on, you know, yeah, especially if it's the, the SGC, especially with the SGC, because that is a good program for him to disappear into, which is why I went that route and have found because he's just not somebody who's ever going to be able to wander around the streets and not have people coming up oh, to hug him. You were the shepherd baby. I'm so glad you're back. Like they knew him. Right. Can I, <laughs> can I hug you? I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> There's actually a term for that. I can't remember what it is. Um, I used to know it where people feel like they know you because of they've seen you like, you know, seen a lot about you. Like if they watch a TV show about you or something, it's a like false sense you. of intimacy. It is, but there's a specific name for it, but I can't remember what it is. Someone actually coined the term for it. Pseudo intimacy. I'd never heard that, but that's interesting. Pseudo intimacy. Let's see. I mean, I have readers who do that to me. It's not the same situation, obviously, because I'm not famous. But sometimes I'll have readers who think they have a relationship with me that they don't. And um, I encounter people um, online, if, on Facebook, and on... Um, um, no, not really. Uh, on Discord, who, who act very familiar with me, like they know me. And it's sometimes it can be very disconcerting. And to be frankly, it, it happens 
mostly with men. To be frank. No, not frankly. But sometimes frankly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is very creepy. And there's an entitlement um, that, that comes with it. A proprietary entitlement that it makes me... It's just like... I don't know. Makes you want to go screaming into the night. And when I have word retrieval issues, so I was trying to find that word. It's it's the sort of the feeling like you know somebody who's a celebrity or somebody that you see a lot online or something where you're exposed to them and you feel like you know more about them than you actually do. Mm -hmm. So there is a term for it. I think it's para something or the other, but I can't remember what the term actually is. That's a philia, right? That's a para. That's a that's the that that's actually a psychiatric disorder, isn't it? There actually it is it is a psychiatric term, yes, but I can't remember what it is. Para, uh, it's called a parasocial relationship, parasocial interaction. Parasocial interaction is a term coined by Donald Horton and Richard Wool in 1956 to refer to a kind of psychological relationship experienced by an audience in the mediated encounters with performers in the mass media, particularly on television, which now includes things like social media and YouTube. Um, viewers or listeners come to the, consider the media personalities as friends, despite having limited interactions with them. PSI is described as an illusionary experience such that media audiences interact with personas um, as if they were engaged in a reciprocal relationship with them. And I think somebody in Tony's kind of position in an if-found type circumstance where, um, where um, he they feel like they, they would see, you know, specials about him and they'd see his face and they would start to feel like they knew him and it would be difficult. He would, his life would just be very different. He would be mobbed everywhere he went and people would feel like they were his friends because they would really relate to him. So I do think that parasocial, um, yeah, exactly. Oh, you are Harry Potter. I know Potter. I know all about you. It'd be that kind of vibe. And I think that it would be, that's why his life would change dramatically. He's not just going to go back to work at NCIS. He might try, but it isn't going to work out. I mean, there's one person um, I used to interact with a lot in fandom, but I am really deeply, really deeply glad that I never actually um, use my real name in, in fandom because um, I fuck that dude would have showed up at my house. This is way back. I've talked about this on a podcast before, but this was way back, way back when my first go around in fandom. Um, I did. I was. Le I wasn't care as careful as I am now about letting my real name get out. Um, although somebody did out me, so it wasn't like. I mean, I was careful, but I I let people know, and somebody did out me, and somebody did show up at, in town, say, "Hey, I'm in town. Do you want to get together?" I'm like, "You're in town? What do you mean you're in town? No, I don't want to get together. How did you get my phone number?" So. People oh are very strange. my god. I have already been there once and followed the restraining order. I'd rather not do it again. I mean, it's just, you know, if I have my rathers. But people are strange. You know, their people are very strange. Yeah, this was a long time ago. I want to say it was early aughts. So 2002, maybe. So it was a long time ago. And a lot of times they don't even think they're being creepy. I mean, that that's like part of the point. They have no idea that they're being creepy. Like, do you do you realize you're being really super creeptastic right now? Because you are being super creeptastic right now. 
Yeah, they, but sometimes people read your work and they do think they know you and they do make the bad assumption that everything in your story is somehow a reflection of your life, right? Right. It's like, it's like, no, dog. By that time that that lady sent me a link on a, 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 um, a, a whole bunch of links on domestic violence and how, and how to get out of my terrible situation because of ties that bind. She meant right. well. Yeah, she meant well. But, you know, it's like, I mean, it, it's like, no, I mean, it, it, I, I don't have four siblings and I didn't, and my father's alive. He's not dead. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's it, actually I have six siblings, but. <laughs> There's a difference between meeting someone that you are friends with in fandom and having someone that you have seen their name a couple of times um, on Facebook or in your comment section decide that they want to come live in your house. Right. Or offer you money to write them personalized erotica. That too. Or ask you to meet them in voice chat on Discord because you would like them you would like it if I would talk to you privately and maybe read some of my sex scenes to you. Ew. For the record, dude, that remains one of the creepiest requests I've ever gotten. That's disgusting. Anyways, it is almost my bedtime because I do have to go get um, the final um, the final act done of the great American tit squeeze of, tw of 2019 tomorrow in the morning, I have a mammogram and an ultrasound so they can look at my new normal so that next year they'll be able to see if everything is as it should be. It promises I, to be painful <laughs> as these things always are, but I hope it goes as well as it possibly can. And they don't have to redo any of the pictures because right? it's always the awful part when they go, well, we didn't get it. We have to redo this one picture. There was a little fold that we didn't. I'm like, you better I might not. have to, you get one shot at this. <laughs> like, well, there's well, like, everything, you know, all the terrible part is done. I mean, you know, the biopsy came back clear and good. You know, they're just getting my new normal. It'll be fine. Um, it's just not going to be comfortable. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's never comfortable. It's like, especially when they come back and they go, well, there's a little bit of, we have a little bit of a fold near your armpit. I'm like, that's what, that's what's near my armpit is folds. So if you can't straighten it out, we're just going to have to live with what we've got. Oh, well, fortunately, I have really good insurance and I, I am really grateful for that. But so my out of pocket fee for all three mammograms, two ultrasounds and the actual operation, I, I paid $45. Wow. That's it. And that was just the deductible that I had at the surgical center for the visit. So um, I am, I am very fortunate and I know that. So, but anyways, um, we are a couple of months off breast cancer awareness month. Um, but uh, do ladies and gentlemen, do I uh, do mean gentlemen pay attention to your breast health. It is super, super important. And I think if things feel different. Don't, don't. Don't let that shit kill you. Don't let that shit kill you because it is very, very treatable. Um, and if it's if it's caught early enough, um, it's just don't let out of all the things in the world that will take you out. Don't let something as preventable as this be the one. Okay. So you guys have a fantastic week, and um, we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Bye.